We are trying to welcome the sweet baby Jesus back into the world for another trip around the glorious sun. We're just going to be testing out something that we want to try for the new year, which is a mailbag section of the show, where we answer questions that our audience chooses in. So you can submit these questions uh, via Twitter or on the Green Majority website, there's a Contact Us page, and we just want to create a space where we can actually be helpful to those of you who listen to the show. So if you have a question about climate justice or the environment generally, or even something where we have to like maybe even go find a expert and ask them your question, we have a platform to help us do that. So we want to help you out. And so this episode is really just testing that theory out in tackling three questions. Okay. So these are actually from listeners. Yes. Listener submitted questions. All right. All right. Merry Christmas. So the first question uh, to you, Dave, uh, is what is one thing that you're uncynically excited about in terms of climate action or where the world is heading in 2021? Tireless efforts of people protecting their land against the continued uh, environmental degradation, especially from fossil fuel oil extraction. In particular, those people whose lands that we stole to create this uh, lovely society, because the healing journey that we need to take as individuals and as a larger society, perhaps, in regards to the crimes against humanity that we committed to create this uh, nation for ourselves, is akin, is related to, in a way, the healing journey that we need to take, need to undergo in terms of our crimes against the life source that we live upon, the ecology of the planet. Brief quote to illustrate this, uh, Winona LaDuke, Ojibwe environmental leader and director of Honor the Earth, is helping to lead or helping to, to participate in protests against Enbridge Line 3 in Minnesota. And on the 17th of December, she said yesterday, so the 16th, 22 people were arrested, the oldest 65 and the youngest 18, all with the exception of one, I believe, all women. I just want to be clear that water protectors are not criminals, we're patriots. We're protecting our water from a Canadian multinational corporation. What a positive note to, well, not quite wrap up our year on. We still have one more episode left, but start to close things down on. Um, I think one thing I'm excited about that isn't, isn't necessarily one thing. It's sort of, it's a bit of a nebulous big thing, but um, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how as hopefully things start to calm down from the COVID pandemic and people get their vaccines and the world starts to maybe um, progress away from what's been happening in 2020. I'm, I'm really, really excited to see how all the energy that was generated around sort of like those build back better, just recovery movements, then maybe sort of 
transform into longer term initiatives. Um, I feel like one of the things I've seen, at least in my community where I live in, in Ottawa um, on Algonquin territory is like more and more groups popping up around mutual aid. Um, uh, really like when I say like grassroots initiatives, I mean like they're not organizations, they're really informal groups of community members who are coming together to to provide um, as like street medics or, or um, yeah, providing sort of like neighborhood aid to, to their community members. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how those things transition into long-term as opposed to like emergency recovery um, sort of um, measures. Um, Cause I was, I was sort of reflecting back on the year earlier in the week. I, I had to, I had to do it for work. Um, and I realized that like, by no means would I ever say that 2020 or COVID even presented an opportunity because that so many terrible things happened to so many people that would be unfair to say, but, um, it's been really cool and really uplifting to see how people have come together. And it's something that we've talked about again and again over the last nine or 10 months now. Um, and I'm hopeful to see how that energy and those new skills that people developed and those new ways of working together can transition into the long term and into the post-pandemic world. Um, yeah, that's what I'm uncynically excited about. So I think... My answer is that for all of the terribleness of this year, I can't help but feel like we are passing into the next phase of the climate fight. On on the negative side, you know, I think this year uh, began to show us what is to come in regards to the unrelenting hurricane season, climate fires, and the increasing frequency of destructive weather events across the globe. But I think we'll look back at 2020 and perhaps more accurately 2021 also as the year where the world truly began to grapple with climate change. You know, th thanks in large part to activist groups like the Sunrise Movement, the Biden administration has selected some true climate champions, you know, like Interior Secretary Deb Haaland. Honestly, I think Deb Haaland could alone be a reason uh, to be excited about 2021, presuming the Senate uh, will approve. Um, she would become the first uh, indigenous secretary of the Interior ever. And, there's, and the Secretary of the Interior has a history of basically genocide uh, against indigenous people. Like there are quotes from previous direct uh, secretaries who have stated basically the fact that they, their mission was to, you know, push these people off their lands. Uh, and so it, I think that alone is, is, is it could be enough. But, uh, you know, it's not just her. There's, there's Michael Reagan, who's going to be the new head of the EPA, Jennifer Granholm uh, as Secretary of Energy, which means that uh, for at least the next four years, there will be work done in the United States. Now, it should be said that the true ambitious plans will require probably both winning the Senate uh, by both race, by both races in Georgia and expanding their control in 2022, neither of which are guaranteed or really rather more than a coin flip in likelihood. Uh, but it also is very likely that Keystone XL will once again be canceled, which should, you know, given the direction of everything else, in the world kill this zombie project that has been lumbering after us for the last decade once and for all. Uh, this combined with the ramp up of Paris targets being announced by countries and actually having a climate plan here in Canada is all good news. 
You know, highlights include the EU's plan to reduce net emissions by 55% by 2030 uh, when compared to 1990 levels, which strengthened the belief that it can actually achieve its targets for net neutrality by 2050. And and goes along with his announcement that its 750 billion dollar euro uh, sorry, 700 billion euro recovery plan will not only invest in com- will only invest in companies and projects that are aligned with Paris targets. And you know also recently China's plan to ins- its plan to install tw- 1,200 gigawatts of solar and wind by 2030, which for context is more than double the entire world's installed solar and wind at the end of 2018. And so and this ambition is tied to a plummeting price of solar uh, to the point where it's now cheaper than coal. And in the International Renewable Energy uh, Agency uh, states that by the end of 2021, it should be cheaper to build a new solar than continuing operating coal plants, which is massive. Um. And it does not say that this work is not over, far from it, especially here in Canada, but the level of but the level of ambition is different. And the fact that there are plans is different. You know, this combined and all of this combined with the flurry of moves you've seen in the private sector moving more and more towards divestment, I think it's safe to say that the age of oil and fossil fuels are on its last legs. And so to me, the the battle now shifts uh, from do something to do enough. And I think that victory should not go uncelebrated. Yeah, so this is a slightly more technical question than our first one um, that was posed to everybody. But so this reader or reader, listener (laughs) writes into us saying, I've been told by two people I know that a lithium ion battery from an electric vehicle can't be recycled. Is this true? An excellent question, and you have an answer for us, Stefan. It's true. I I did some digging, and the shortest answer I can provide uh, is that lithium-ion car batteries are recyclable from a technical standpoint, uh, but currently they're not. That that is being done at a relatively well, actually, a relatively just a very low rate. Yeah, there are some articles that I was able to find that talks about some of the opportunities for second uses. You know, some places they're talking about the ability to use. You know these car batteries, which no longer can do that. They are still functioning batteries. They just have a, they just, they just aren't necessarily can't go two hundred kilometers, three hundred kilometers, and so they actually have many other uses for for smaller type generation necessary. Um, but then there's also some work in into actually how they can be more repurposed in the larger sense. And in that being that being said, while both the articles are pretty rosy about the ability to find new ways uh, to use lithium ion, and also in the recycling department. There's other pieces of things, one one I found from Chemical Engineering News, that highlights the darker side of this, which is at the moment, Australia only recycles 2 to 3% of lithium-ion batteries, and the EU and the US are not much better, with about 5% being recycled, maybe. Which may also be true, um, what, what, sorry, what may also be true which is not clear from the research, is if recycling those batteries is finding a way to repurpose all 100% of the battery or just a percentage of the materials. But that being said, we're also seeing a boon in new startups looking for ways to recycle batteries, which could also go a long way in improving the work that's being done. So ultimately, the answer is it's not true. They can be recycled, but it's but in practice, they're not being recycled at any real significant rate. And so 
if we want these to be better, I think that's something we have to address and face forward. Uh, but there does appear to be some good news on the horizon and a lot of people working on the issue. Good. I feel like that's a question we're going to sort of increasingly have to come up against, um, especially in Canada, given that we are theoretically supposed to be on track to um, completely phasing out the fuel combustion engine in, in, new, in new vehicle purchases, at least from the light duty from the light duty side of things. Um, and obviously zero emissions vehicles aren't, aren't just electric cars, but I mean, high hydrogen fuel cell cars um, never really took off the way people anticipated they would. So if, if lithium ion batteries continue to be um, not often recycled, then yes, that, that will pose an increasing issue as we go into the 2020s and 2030s and 2040s when we're supposed to be um, phasing out traditional vehicles. So um, Thanks so much for that question, listener. That was that was an important one, and I'm sure something we'll have to come back to in the coming years. The last question we're tackling is, what stories are you watching for in 2021? So the stories I'm going to be paying close attention to in 2021 are just stories around First Nations. The 633 First Nations in Canada are still fighting against our colonial system, whether it's the Wet'suwet'en in northern BC or uh, people fighting against the Trans Mountain Expansion Pipeline or uh, such as the Tiny House Warriors or the 1492 Land Back Lane people in uh, Six Nations people in Ontario or the modest livelihood fisheries uh, from the Mi'kmaq on the East Coast. Because especially in Canada, our history of genocide is inextricably intertwined with our history of ecological devastation. And it's very obvious when you look at uh, the way we construct pipelines and and, uh, energy infrastructure in this country. All right. Uh, Lauren, same question to you. I think some of the stories I'm going to be following uh, going forward into 2021 are are stories that were that were sort of introduced over the last few weeks on the show. I'm going to be really closely following uh, sort of the the Canadian policy landscape as always, but looking specifically at the climate plan that was put forward as a proposal uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, looking to see where the um, new Climate Accountability Act uh, Bill C12 goes, and um, and we're going to be covering it more so on our New Year's episode, but I'm curious to see where the hydrogen strategy goes as well. And I'm going to be paying attention to these because uh, although they were all introduced, um, there is time to increase ambition on them. Um, and there's a really big need to increase ambition on all of them. They were all sort of good places to start. And by no means is anybody displeased that they came out. Um, it was good to see the liberals sort of fulfill some of those promises they made um, in the last couple of years, um, especially when it's been such a busy and stressful year for everybody. But um, really, really looking to see if um, this government can can give us more than what they've currently presented. Um, because on all fronts, although it is progress, it's not nearly enough, um, falls far short of what we need Uh Around, around accountability and around um, the sort of climate policy plan that we have presented. Um, and then on hydrogen, I feel like hydrogen, and again, we're, we're talking about it next week, presents something interesting because as it stands, the hydrogen strategy is claiming to put us on a path towards decarbonization, when in actuality, it's, it's largely 
propping up and helping push natural gas farther into the future. So it's, I, I think a lot of Canadians and a lot of people, when you hear hydrogen strategy, you think, oh, hydrogen, that's, that's zero emissions. That's so great from a climate uh, change standpoint. And, and unfortunately, the hydrogen strategy as it's been presented in Canada is, is far from that. Um, so yeah, those will be three of the sort of policy stories I'll be following going into the future um, in the next few months because they'll be critical to making sure that those are actually impactful policies. Um, but I'm also um, going to be paying attention to uh, sort of the gear up to COP26 because this year was supposed to be COP26. It was supposed to take place in, in late November, early December of this year. Um, and it's, and it's going to be a big year. It's, it marks five years since, um, since the Paris Agreement was signed. It's the first global stock take year, which means it's when everybody sits down and says, okay, where are we at in terms of our goals? How do we need to ratchet up ambition? How are we doing? Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how people make changes and announcements in the lead up to that because it feels like there's a certain degree of ambition and excitement surrounding it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, countries around the world respond to that call to action um, and what their NDCs and their new targets look like. Um, hopefully Canada's disappointing announcements aren't an indication of what patterns are going to be. Um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be a year when Canada is put to shame again. <laughs> Um, and I guess my answer uh, to that question, what stories are you watching for 2021, is the flip side to my optimism in the first question, uh, which I apologize for people for ending on a more downer note. But the, you know, the flip side of this global optimism in regards uh, to global ambition uh, on climate change is the question of how we go about this transition. Right, because without significant improvements to mining regulations, protections for workers across the globe, and significantly increased payments for loss and damage uh, for, for from climate change that was agreed upon in the Paris Accord, we are at great risk of addressing the part. We are at great risk of addressing parts of climate change without. Uh, or while replicating the colonial system that was built, uh, that built this very damaged world that we live in today. You know, for example, uh, China's climate ambitions cannot be cannot be understood in a vacuum, as they intern more than one million Uyghurs uh, in the re in their quote re-education centers. Yeah, the growing boom in electric vehicles cannot be separated from the impacts of lithium mining lithium mining on both the environment and the safety of those communities those projects are in. You know, action on climate is not a comp if action on climate is not accompanied by a just transition framework that supports fair wages and for helping retraining uh, those who are currently in fossil sectors, it will only continue our trajectory of an oligarchical reign of the super rich. You know, if 2021 is the year the tide turns in some regards uh, in regards to the action on climate change, it must be followed by real action on wealth distribution and, and wealth inequality and climate justice. Else we risk and we uh, else we risk falling into a technocratic ecofascism, and to me that's the fight to watch in 2021. You know, as we continue to see efforts to actually push ourselves forward in regards to actually tackling carbon, the question becomes how do we do it in a way that you know brings prosperity and 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 equity and solutions to everyone who needs it, and not just you know cuts off carbon and leaves us with the rest of the, this broken world. Mm -hmm.